Motor X Podcast. Brought to you by the world's number one source of motocross and supercross news and entertainment. RacerXOnline.com. Jason Wygant here, your host, David Pingree. This is the Racer X Podcast with your hosts, Jason Wygant and David Pingree. Yes, that's right. We are back. Sorry for the short delay there between our previous podcast. We reviewed the action at Hangtown. And this podcast, we're going to talk about life after racing. We're going to go back into some more educational topics, big picture, but thinking deeply. We're going to mix it all into one. The idea here, we're just going to explore how much money you can make as a racer. How long will that last? What if it doesn't last? What if you have to get a job and their uh, basic education came within the banners of a racetrack? Everyone chases the glory, Ricky Carmichael, Jeremy McGrath style, making a whole bunch of money and being a superstar. But... Uh, as everyone can attest, for every one of those success stories, there were a whole lot of others that didn't make that much money and didn't have things go that well. And then life turns pretty tough. Uh, that's why we had to interrupt David Pingree uh, at the office of Troy Lee Designs as a team manager, because you don't have a couple of mil to sleep on each night, unfortunately, Ping? No, you know, I'd, I'd love to be set up on an island somewhere with a <laughs> margarita in one hand and a senorita in the other. <laughs> but... Uh, Apparently, getting second in the motorcycle racing series doesn't doesn't pay as well as you think. I don't think first actually pays as well as they think either. Sometimes. Well, it's funny, you know, a guy like Denny, who's uh, a Supercross champion and was, uh, you know, almost Arena Cross champion, and just had a, I don't know how you wouldn't call his career successful. Um, you know, he's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to him here shortly, but he's struggling. You know, I mean, yeah. he's, he kind of got let go from his the agency where he was working and. Um, he's, he's searching, you know, and, and man, he is not the only guy. You know, you look at, you know, we've talked about some of these other guys like Brian Swink, and he's another perfect example. He was the one guy who, you know, he and Damon Huffman who were going to maybe derail McGrath. Right. And, and he was talented enough to do it, man. He was, um, he was amazing. Two, two 120 Supercross championships and um, a contender outdoors always. And then when he moved up to the 250 in Supercross, he was fast. And uh, for one reason or another, just didn't reach his potential. And now, you know, he's working a, a blue-collar job, grinding it out. He's, you know, he's got his fair share of problems. And, you know, there's a list of guys who are, who are just in trouble right now. Yeah, it's really strange. And you really, the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of guys like that are, oh, they had all this talent and they wasted it. They had all this talent and they blew it. But in other sports, having a lot of talent and, talent and maybe not becoming the best ever still allows you to make a whole lot of money i mean i just read a story about the i think Derek jeter they said was the fifth pick in the draft when he got drafted uh which is almost 20 years ago now and um they talked about the players that were drafted in front of him and it was like how could these teams have been so dumb to draft these other guys before jeter because their careers weren't as good but even still i think one of them was a pitcher that made 40 million dollars during his career and now he's retired and another one made 30 million dollars and was like a catcher they weren't as good as Jeter, but they still made $30 million, but it doesn't work that way necessarily in Supercross. If you don't beat McGrath and you're Brian Swink, you don't have that much money to live off of. No, it's 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 a very, very small number of people who make that that big money, you know, and, and even if you have a couple years where you make it, I, I think, you know, even I, I, I learn, even as I, at this age, mm-hmm. money goes so quickly, you know, I mean, it think, oh, if I have this big chunk of money, I could live for this long or do this with it. It's like, no, you can't. You know, I mean, the government takes their cut and then, you know, all bills and this and that. Before you know it, I mean, it's just gone. It just goes so quick. So 
there's a very, very small number of people who get to just retire when they're done racing and cruise, you know, and, and even those guys are doing something. I mean, look at McGrath. The guy, he tells me now he's busier now than he, he was when he was racing. You know, he's got his truck deal going on, and he's still working with Thor and testing for Honda yep. and, you know, doing some Dunlop stuff. So you're going to do something when you're done, you know. What, what, but if it's not within this industry, if it, if it is, what kind of skills or um, talents do you have to provide an income for yourself for the rest of your life? Yeah, well, let's get into that. Um, you know, you and your family, you made obviously some sacrifices because you can't get to the level you got to without doing that. So how difficult is it? I mean, how how can you learn anything else while you're 100% dedicated to becoming a, the best racer you can be? Well, my, my parents uh, were just adamant that I got a good education, at least in high school. And, uh-huh. You know, I was, I was going to get good grades while I was in school. And, you know, doing the homeschool thing just wasn't an option. They're like, no, you're going to... You're going to, you know, graduate high school, you'll ride in the evenings or on the weekends or whatever you need to do, and your grades will be, you know, A's and B's, and I could get away with a C. I'd get a, I'd get a mean butt chewing, but, like, I'd get away with it. But <laughs> okay. if I brought home D's, we didn't ride, and the one time I brought home an F on a midterm, my dad sold my bike. Sold them. Wow. I quit, I quit racing when I was 13 once for about, for about nine months because I brought home an F on a midterm. So... My dad meant business, you know, and I, I, I completely appreciate it now. You know, had he been this kind of whatever and we still went, you know, it, it certainly would have changed the education I got and, and uh, um, opportunities available to me now. Now, I'm sure then the motivation on grades really didn't have anything to do with racing. Was that because of the long term of just in case the racing thing doesn't work out? That had to be the reason why, right? Well... You know what? For me, no. The motivation was I got to get good grades, or I can't go riding. You know, when you're when you're that young, I don't think you you have that perspective. Uh-huh. Um, okay, you know, you, I'm going to try to be a professional racer, but that doesn't work. Then what am I going to do? You know, you just you get kind of focused when you're a kid. I think that's why you're able to do so well at whatever it is you're doing. But someone around you has to be able to see it. You know, like I just read uh, something on Eli Tomac where his dad said the exact same to him. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're going to get a good education because if this doesn't work, you'll have to do something else. I want you to be able to go to college or be able to do something. So, you know, John Tomac is, I, I just, I love the guy. You know, he's just, you know, he's going to make Eli put absolutely everything he can into making racing work. But if it does, you know, he's demanded that his education is still a priority and he will have options, you know, if racing doesn't pan out. So your parents think, were mindful of that. That's what you're saying. Your parents were, just in case, making sure that there was an alternate way for you. Absolutely, yeah. My, my parents were very pragmatic that way, and, and I think if you don't have somebody like that in your life, you're in trouble. Well, we're seeing more and more of it. Um, you know, the, the, the facilities that are out there and camps and compounds and all that stuff, uh, I don't know if there are classrooms at a lot of those, but there's certainly a lot of riding and training that goes on for some really young kids and what leads the parents to make that level of sacrifice uh, where there really is no alternative except win races? That's, that's all you're there for. It's tough. It is tough, you know, and, and, and as many great things as Ricky Carmichael ushered into this sport with um, commitment and hard work and dedication, mm-hmm. um, you know, that sort of brought them this whole new um, era of, you know, abandon everything else and just focus 
you know, all of your efforts into this one thing. And, man, I, I appreciate the dedication, but I, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous game, you know, because for every kid, who, you know, there might be a kid who makes it, but and, and things work out great, but how many don't make it? I mean, it's a long list. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and it now seems like um, the first bullet you'd put on a resume as proving why you're a good racer is, I work hard, I'm focused, I'm dedicated. That's the number one thing that you're supposed to, you know, sell yourself on, you're supposed to pride yourself in. But I see what you're saying, that's great within the banners of the racetrack, but it can take away from other stuff, especially when we're talking about, what, 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 10-year-olds? That's, yeah, exactly. that's amazing. They, they, just, they, don't have the, they don't have the perspective or the experience to go, okay, you know, I really want to do this, but if it doesn't work out, I'll do this and this. I mean, what what 13-year-old is that, you know, wise? Now, the argument you're going to get, I'm sure, is that it takes that level of dedication at that age to succeed. So what do you do then? I mean, is that the level the sport has gotten to at this point where it's like, you know, gymnastics where the Chinese are pulling girls out at two years old and forcing them into it? I mean, do you have to sacrifice that much at age 13 to succeed at age 20? You know, like I said, I, I, I point this to the guys who've graduated high school, you know, Andrew Short. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I, don't know, I don't know some of the backgrounds of these other riders. You right. know, I, I don't know what they've done, but there are guys who have gone through high school, get your diploma, and then, you know, then commit to it. And you can still ride plenty and, and focus on it and make it a priority. It's just, it's, you're taking a risk. That's all I know. It's a big risk. Really, it's like going to Vegas and, and rolling the dice. You know, I mean, between injuries and just all of the different dynamics of motocross, and you're going to make it just because you're a hard worker. Uh, it just doesn't always work out. Yeah, you're uh, you're going to Vegas and playing roulette, but you're playing it on one color or one number. You're not you're not spreading the odds in any way, shape, or form. It's all on one on one on one toss. Um, now, there's some guys that seem like they're able to cope and do well if it doesn't work out at racing. Uh, I know we got a couple examples of that, and then we have a couple examples of guys where it didn't work out so well. Um, I think last week you mentioned Mike Lapaglia, who was a pretty solid amateur kid and was racing Supercross and, and Motocross just until recently, and he's got something pretty good going on nowadays, right? Yeah, Michael's um, running his, his father's company, you know, or stepping in to, to help and I'm sure eventually take it over, but his dad's got a successful... Um, excavating company and gravel crushing plant, you know, whatever it is. And and Michael, his parents, again, were very um, strict about making sure his grades were kept up. He graduated high school. And, you know, he was a kid who had, as an amateur, was one of Suzuki's next big things, you know, yep. and just had some injuries, just didn't quite make the transition as good as he needed to, and um, found himself basically without a ride and going okay well do I pay to go ride now or do I you know move on with my life and do something different he, he has a two stroke 250 now that he bought and he rides just for fun and like joined the real world and he'll, he'll contribute something but um, like I said there's for every one of him a lot of guys who didn't do it that way Greg Albertine's another great example you know of a guy who um, just picked up a great business sense over the course of his career, I'm, and I'm not even sure if he finished high school or what he did before he went to Europe, but turned uh, his hard work ethic and professionalism into a career now in uh, real estate after racing, and he's been as successful in that as he has in the motocross world. Uh, well, that brings up an interesting point. 
Are there some things you feel that as a racer with the travel and the professionalism you're thrown into at a very young age and work ethic and all this stuff, uh, are there some things you kind of learn in the school of hard knocks, so to speak, that can pay off? Yeah, I mean, moto- motocross can be, it can be a microcosm for just life in general. You mm-hmm. know, my dad always, always used those analogies like, you know, hey, you know, you want to, you know, hard work pays off. You know, if you, you know, in order to be a champion, you got to be able to come up from adversity. If you get hurt or whatever, just, you know, work through the injury, work harder, you know, come back stronger. It, there's all of these different little, you could, you could use any scenario in motocross mm-hmm. and, and find an analogy in life or business or, or anything else. Um, you just have to, hopefully the kids are grasping that or you have someone explaining, kind of connecting those dots for you. Yes. And um, if you're doing things right, if you do learn, okay, I need to learn to work with the media. I need to be professional and represent my sponsors. I need to, you know, work hard on and off the bike. I need, you know, once you, if you're doing all of those things properly, yeah, you're training yourself to be successful after racing as well. You know what I mean? Yep. And we've got a couple of guys you could probably hold a bit as an example of that. Like you said, worked out for Albertine. There's a guy, did you used to race against Brett Racine? I know we had brought him up when we were talking about that. Did you used to race against him? Yeah, Brett was a, a I think he was a NorCal guy, but, but out here from California somewhere. And, and he was a another good Team Green prospect, came up to the amateur ranks and had a couple years as a pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and just did all right, but just could never quite get to that next level mm-hmm. and um, I think he might have had a pretty bad accident at one point and called it quits right but um, he was a you know sharp kid and he, he went back and I, what, he got his pilot's license is that right yeah or? yeah now he's a uh, airline pilot we hear and actually doing pretty well for himself so that and uh, lives in Vegas and I considering living in Vegas how dangerous that can be I guess he's keeping himself on the straight and narrow so that's worked out pretty well for him no and that's another thing you know as a motocross racer you, you know well, most motocross races, I don't want to say all, but, you know, I, well, my high school friends were out drinking and partying. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not drinking, you know, I gotta, I'm racing. I, I'm, you know, you, you're taught to kind of live a clean lifestyle and um, that clean living also reaps benefits, you know, and um, again, I think that's another great thing you can take with you into your life after motocross. Uh, another example, a guy who uh, came from West Virginia actually was Stevie Childress, and he came up in the Bradshaw era. He was one of Suzuki's guys in the late 80s and was the same age as Bradshaw, was racing against him, and then got a podium at a Supercross here and there. And then he actually started going to dentistry, dentistry school uh, and using the money he'd make. At, uh, I, he would go like a Muddy Creek race, a, a Mega Series race, and then get back to class on Monday. And, and spend that money there. So now he actually has his own dentistry business here in West Virginia. He used his racing money for four or five years there to pay to go to school. So he's doing all right for himself. But, man, there's a few guys like that, but uh, there's a bunch. Um, we mentioned um, uh, uh, Michael Brandis, I think, the other day. Where Where is Michael Brandis? Do we even know where he is? He was another guy that was pretty solid. He had some podiums, won a Supercross, right? Yeah, Monica Cross, crazy potential. The kid was so fast. Yep. Um, at times, and just you know, couldn't couldn't quite uh, make the make the leap, I guess, or whatever it was to stay in it and get to the next level. And yep. he, you know, he didn't have anything beyond that. You know, he he started really becoming a fast B rider when he was you know thirteen or fourteen years old, and um. I think he just kind of lost focus on everything else, and that was it. And so now he's, you know, operating a, he's working at a track, like prepping tracks up north, 
but you know he's had you know problems with alcoholism and things and just it's been a struggle for him you know and it's sad when you see a guy get to that point and and even a guy like buddy anson is we talked about him as well yep great guy um hard worker five arena cross championships i mean uh you think a guy like that and runner-up in supercross uh, series to McGrath a couple of times. Yep, yep. One from Supercrosses, Factories is rather. You think surely he's got a little nest egg put away or something, but uh, not the case. You know, he's uh, he's out there busting his butt doing motocross schools now every day and and um, ready to get by. Yeah, and uh, you'd mentioned um, Casey Johnson, I think, is in this similar situation, just trying to get some motocross schools together um, just to make ends meet, really. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Yep. He, he was a, he was a guy at one point who helped bump salaries up. You know, he got in a bid war between FMF Honda and Yamaha of Troy, and um, was one of the highest paid 125 riders of his time. You know, in '99, '98, '99, 2000, he was making 130, 140 grand, which for a 125 rider at the time was unheard of. Mm-hmm. And uh, looked like he would be for sure the next, you know, the next big thing. Um, and then he had string injuries, and before you know it, his his career wound down, and now he's training some riders. And you know that, that's kind of the, obviously the thing everybody falls right into is motocross schools and um, rider coaching, or whatever. But man, that's a talk about a tough racket, you know. Clients come and go, and money's coming in, and it's not coming in. It's it's crazy unstable. So there's a lot of issues, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then there's some real bad stories out there. Um, Josh Sweat, he was really fast team green rider, I think from, I think he was from Ohio. I think he was from right around this neck of the woods where, where I am now, West Virginia. And he died recently in a drug deal gone bad. I mean, as bad as bad can get. And I know that uh, Ben Riddle, who was Suzuki's next guy after Pastrana in the early 2000s, he did some time. Um, and we all know that Mike Jones had some problems not too long ago in a Airport, or I think it took three tasers to take him down. Um, but it's still impressive. Yeah, you know that out of all the, out of all the bad that comes out of that story, that one's actually pretty good. <laughs> like, you got to be impressed with that. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible what what went down, but three tasers—that's like wow. You could take a grizzly bear down with one or two, I think. Yeah, but he pretty much is, or he pretty much is a bear in his own. Anyone that bumped him, and and for Jonesy, he was great. One twenty-five Supercross, and he pointed out of that class and then got forced in the 250s and in the early 90s if you were going at it as a privateer they didn't have you know there weren't valley motorsports and jgr and teams like that to keep you afloat um you're on your own and it probably wasn't going to work there were very few guys that could make that transition as a privateer in 250 supercross so that's what befell him so there's there's a lot of holes in the system and i know it's better now but this isn't a show about oh the guys just didn't make any money back in the day, and that was the difference. It's the same thing that happened now that happened then. It those things never change. Absolutely, you know these guys can they can make uh, you know crazy money for a few years, but if you either can't sustain it or aren't smart with it, it will disappear on you in a hurry. And um, there, there's you'd just be surprised how often that happens. So what do you do with, uh, you know, you got riders on your team right now. I mean, do you share these lessons with them? Do guys listen? You've had a couple of young guys on your team the last couple of years. So so what is that like yeah. when they hear that? Well, I have, but, you know, the, the guys we have had, our, our team has been pretty small budget. Mm-hmm. So the riders we've had aren't making any money. You know? <laughs> um, I think. It's a strange situation for you to coach them through, I guess, right? 
so you know, yeah, what, I'm, we're trying to coach them to get to where they make some money. But right, um, once they, you know, I think Will's gonna gonna do all right for himself next season. And mm-hmm. um, if he's if he's still part of our program, then so yeah, of course I'll um, do my best to make sure he's not being an idiot. But um, you know, I think a, a lot of that has to do with, like I said, their parents or making sure they've got someone around them who cares enough to um, just steer them in the right direction. But, uh, you know, like I said, I, I haven't had to deal with that. Townley's our biggest guy who's who's made some money, and he's got a real solid head on his shoulders. He's not, he doesn't waste money. So. Yeah, yeah, I think. And, and the thing about uh, his situation is, he he now knows firsthand how quickly it can be pulled away from you. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who realizes how fickle this sport is. I mean, he's he's a great one to talk to. So, right. He knows how fast it goes. So, what's what do we take out of this? Uh, we're, we're not trying to make it bitter about how evil the sport is. I mean, there's only the pie's only so big. There's only so much money to go around, um, and it does take some sacrifice. You know, you can't go and pursue your PhD in college and then at age 25 buy a dirt bike and then say, all right, I'm going to try this. Um, wh- what is it? Just balance? Just trying to be smart? Just trying to see the big picture? Just the bottom line is, is add education into the equation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, don't cut that out and, and say, no, I don't have time for that. I'm going to put all my energy into here. You know, you've, you've got you've to consider um, the possibility of racing not working out. Yep. And at that point, then what? No, don't. Uh, and, and and I think this message is more for kids or for parents whose kids are showing some promise and they're going to really start chasing it. It's like, okay, that's great. You know, anything you should do, you should do a hundred percent. But make education a part of that uh, part of that package. Yeah, yeah. And as they always say, don't get into racing. The only way to make a fortune in racing is to start with a big one, and that's how you'll end up with a small one. <laughs> if you're in it for yeah. the money, it's probably not going to go that well. Want to make a million bucks in motocross? Then uh, start with two million. Yeah, yeah, there, there you go. Um, I mean, hey, Jeff Ebbing made a lot of money, and he's not afraid to tell you, but he still works for Fox during the week and does TV on the weekends, and obviously he likes doing it, but it, uh, some of it is you got to do what you got to do. Even And that's his career is about as successful as anyone could ever hope they're going to have. Um, and, and honestly... You know, it sounds great. Oh, I'm going to retire at, at 35, and I'm going to just, you know, whatever. When you know, when you're 18, 19, it sounds awesome to just, oh, I'm never going to work. When I retire, I'm just going to like hang out at the beach and just. But that's not that's not reality. You get sick of the beach. You get sick of sitting around sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. You're going to work. Yeah. That's just <laughs> in your nature. You know, if you're not doing something productive, you feel like a turd. Right. So you will work. You yeah. What will you be able to do? Well said, well said. All right, let's get uh, Denny Stevenson on the phone. We'll give him a call and uh, get his take on it. He's been through all the angles. He's been a successful racer as a factory rider. He struggled as a privateer at other times, came back and did well, was an agent. Uh, so he's seen all sides of it. So let's catch up with uh, Denny. Denny Stevenson on the line. Denny, we haven't seen you at the races in a while, man. What have you been up to, dude? Nothing? Yeah, I put up the white flag. I, I pretty much had enough. And uh, I've been home in Omaha, Nebraska, living a good life. Wow. Well, that's the topic of uh, today's show. We're going to talk about life after racing. And, uh, Ping, you know, if you're Jeremy McGrath, life after racing is probably pretty sweet because you got a whole lot of money to just put under your mattress to sleep on. It doesn't work that way for everybody else. 
No, you know, it's it's people people have this misconception that you know you put in a few good years racing as a pro and you're just dialed. But uh, money goes quick. You know, if you're not you don't have seven Supercross titles and and uh, you know a bunch of other number one plates to vouch for your bank account, you're pretty much going to be. Um, for something. Now, here's the thing. We can talk to both of you guys, and in almost any other sport, the credentials you have, you should be able to sit on about $20 million. You know, Danny, you won a Supercross title. Ping, you won a bunch of races, and you almost won a Supercross title a bunch of times, right? Am I correct about that? Well, a few times, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to... They give you, they give you, they give you a big check for that, too. <laughs> yeah, almost. Yeah. Second is a big check. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get bigger the closer it was, right? It doesn't work that way. Second is second. Literally, you just get a pat on the back and go, dang it. Maybe next year, jackass. <laughs> That's right. Um, nice. So the problem here is, uh, and Ping, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, it takes a whole lot of sacrifice to even get good enough to get second, which is a big problem because you've made a lot of sacrifices and it doesn't pan out. Sometimes people don't even necessarily realize the downside. It's easy to look at Carmichael or McGrath or Jeff Emig, but it doesn't always work out that way. No, it, it I definitely mean, doesn't. I mean, it, you know, I, I did have a pretty successful career, and you know, but you know, you look back upon it, you know, that was it was 20 years ago, and obviously we weren't making that kind of money 20 years ago that they've made they've made not even this year, but you know, five you know last two years ago or whatever the hell it was. You know, these guys are making a lot of money and. Um, you know, I remember when I first quit racing in 02 with my last year racing arena cross. I mean, I was blessed to race as long as I did. Um, but come 2002, I quit racing, and um, Michelle and I are having a baby, and I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, and I'm going, hmm, what in the world am I going to do now? And, and uh, a former racer in, in California is sometimes a job, but in Omaha, Nebraska, it, it certainly isn't. So and that's why I turned my direction to California. We moved to California, and I started working with Smith Optics, and I was very lucky to get that job. But a lot of guys they get done racing and you know and I think they're they're beat up and they're kind of tired of the whole rat race of racing and then they decide let's throw you something else and all of a sudden that slap of reality hits you you know and I know Ping's plan feels as well it's like well what what do we do now you know yeah I mean Denny what well, you know like for me I kind of had a an easy transition with Racer X because I'd been riding for those guys and Davey kind of said hey if you want to work here after you get done racing you know we'll, we'll find a spot for you so a big safety net for me you know it made me be able to go all right i'm done doing this i'm gonna you know i'm gonna do something different but a lot of people don't have that and, and like you said you found yourself just in omaha going all right well what now you know and i think a lot of guys get to that point and freak out i mean it's uh you just it's like you haven't even really had to deal with reality until that point you know what i'm saying yeah i mean which you know i've we've all been you know i rode a motorcycle for 30 almost 30 years and you definitely get used to that 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 rhythm and that uh, you know those habits and, and, and that income and mm-hmm. expecting a check every week you know or, you know every weekend you know you're, you're going to go out and do well and you make a little bit of money and, and when that that ends you're definitely kind of kind of grasping straw trying to figure out what you're going to do next. I, I remember one trip to Anaheim. I think I was still racing the arena cross thing and I think you were wrapping up your career and we were talking about you know I think we were always uh, two people in our industry. I think you and I are probably two of the more realists of realizing that you know hey this isn't going to last forever. And I think I remember talking with you, and you were like, you know, I'm not going to be like these other guys. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, when I'm done racing, I'm not going to hang around the sport. I'm going to go do something else. And at the time, I'm thinking, well, you're either really bitter or he's really on to something. And apparently, you were just bitter that day, thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. No, you you know, but I'm actually working on that. I mean, I, I may not be in this sport nearly as much as I am now by the end of this summer. So 
I still believe in that. I don't, I don't want to just hang around and slowly die <laughs> in this sport. You know, I mean, I love it, but it's any job in this sport is uh, not steady for one. And uh, you know, you, you could be somewhere thinking you have a solid spot, and, and the next thing you know, you're clipped. That's just kind of the way this whole sport works. And I, I still believe in that. I still believe if you've got other skills, everybody, and it's definitely hit our sport as well. I mean, I. I'm no longer working in the industry, and you know I'm one of one of very many people that uh, have spent their, their life, uh, you know, either racing or, or working in this industry, and have now found themselves out of work. And you know, it, it just shows that, like any other any other any other sport or any other industry, you know, motocross is no different. You know. Yeah, guy like like we, what you were saying, a guy like Denny, who's you know, if you were trying to translate it from this sport to baseball, football, anything else, really, right? Um, he would have made millions like you'd have such a nut to be sitting on and uh you know in, in motocross and what we get paid and I, I think some of these kids coming out of grade school or whenever they stop going to school and start focusing in on their dream here it's like they don't realize that i mean man it is a percent of a percent of the riders that that get to just retire you're gonna have to do something when you're done racing i mean Unless you're a McGrath or a Wyndham or, you know, it's very good to read. Yeah, you know, you're going to do something. So what are you going to do? You know, what do you know how to do? And for a lot of racers, it's nothing. I mean... Yeah, well, let's talk about the the sacrifice that it takes to get there. Denny, just give me an idea of... um, I know your dad was your mechanic for a long time, so give me an idea of your background and then your family's uh, dedication to get you to that level, which sometimes means that, yeah you don't have a chance to go to school and learn the stuff that would help you after racing because you have to apply everything you have. So talk a little bit about your what got you there in the first place. You know, I was pretty fortunate, you know, to be able to, to finish high school. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I got a diploma. Um, you know, whether that, whether that means a whole lot, I don't know, but I definitely got a chance to finish out my high school career. And, but my, my, my family, you know, I'm an only child, and my mom and dad both work uh, full-time mm-hmm. you know, as I'm growing up racing. Uh, you know, every vacation. There is many families. They're, they're dedicated to today. You know, if my mom and dad had vacation time, it was, uh, you know, off the Ponca or, or Loretta Lynn's. And um, I remember growing up and going to, having to go south because Omaha always got cold during the winter, and we'd head south to Oklahoma to race, you know, Emig and stuff. And my dad would work until, you know, 5 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, drive me, you know, eight hours down to Oklahoma to race uh, on Sunday afternoon, eight hours back home Sunday night, and boom, he'd be at work Monday morning, you know. Uh, uh, if you, if, if one thing you can ever take from you know, appreciating something like that, it's just the work ethic when you get done with racing and going, hey, you know, if your family is able to do that for you, um, you, know, you should don't, don't turn around and be that same type of man your dad was for you to, to, to for you to race, just for you to survive. You know what I'm saying? But it kind of illustrates the, um, you know, it's easy for people on the sidelines to say, you know, the parents shouldn't push their kids so much, but when the parent is making that level of sacrifice, time-wise, financial-wise, it's kind of tough to just have your kid go out and get 10th every weekend and just be cool with that, right? Isn't there almost a yeah. certain amount of pressure that goes along with that sacrifice? I mean, for sure. I mean, I, I've, I've read, we've all read on the message board how, how much uh, Tony Lesson's caught crap over the years, you know, even coming up to the amateur ranks. When he, when he talks about Jeff and Mike, he talks about we and, and us. And a lot of people gave him crap for that. And I'm like, you know, but it is we and us. It is your family. It's your mom. It's your dad. It's, you know, if you have a sister, you know, you're at the race together every single weekend for... Know, 50 weekends out of the year and you know like or not it is we 
you know, it, it's a full team effort. You know, maybe not when you get to, to the pro level necessarily, but um, up until then, it's full sacrifice, mom, dad. It's not like sending your kid off to go baseball camp and mom and dad are out drinking beers in the patio enjoying <laughs> a, a weekend free with the kid, you know. Um, it's all or nothing. You know, and, and you got to respect that. That's what some guys still go to uh, Fox City for Red Wings, uh, you know, with, with Smith and my latest job when I was doing agent and stuff. And every time I'd leave one of those races, I'd call my mom and dad and just thank them and go, you guys were crazy. I can't believe you guys did all that for me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know what that leads to, and Ping, I know that you're big on the, you know, try to stay in school as long as possible, but is that difficult to do with how competitive the sport is, and you really nowadays have to shine when you're 13, 14 years old, or you might never get the bikes and the support to go there, so how do you balance that? Well, I think I think you can do it, it just has to be a priority. Denny did it, I did it, right. Andrew Short did it, you, know, you can graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't that part of a thing to do, you know, by the time you're a senior, you've got a half you know, you got a light schedule, and, uh, you know, your your days are end at 11.30. You know, there's plenty of time to go ride and do the things you need to do. I, to me, if, if it's a priority, you'll make it happen. That's the bottom line, you know, and I think a lot of these families, and, you know, and now that I've got kids, I've always kind of bagged on homeschool, and I still am pretty leery about it, but I understand people's, um, you know, <laughs> discretion when it comes to public schools because... Man, there there's some bad ones out there, especially here in Southern California. <laughs> but you know, to me, it, you know, you I don't know how you cannot look at your kid's future long term. You know, not just go, okay, well, I'm gonna totally roll the dice that he's gonna make it, and we're gonna commit everything to this. And if it doesn't work out, I don't know, he'll have to just, you know, pump gas, or I don't know what he'll do. You know, how how can you not go? Okay, you're gonna at least get a high school diploma, like a good education, so that if this goes sideways. You've got, you know, you've got options. You can go back to college. You can go to a, a, a trade school. You can go, you know, because a lot of those places won't even, you can't even consider application until you, unless you've got a high school diploma. So, you know, like Danny says, I don't know if a diploma is worth anything, but man, you got to at least have that. I mean, yeah, it is the bare minimum, but I don't know how you do anything in life if you don't have one. It's, it's going to make it really tough. And... Denny, talk about how difficult it is at the top. You got your 125 Supercross title, and you had a Suzuki factory ride at the time. But, I mean, seriously, how much money were you making even at that level? I mean, were you, know, you were even in six figures? No, I mean, it was really funny. You know, when I, uh, when I was working as an agent here last year, last you know year and a half, I was working with Josh Grant and, and Trace Nard, and you know, I, I got to do their life contracts, obviously, and... Um, and I basically just sat down one afternoon and penciled in what, what if I had my career on, with their bonuses and their their salary. And boy, that was a, that was a sad day, I'll tell you. It was uh, <laughs> a real kick in the ball. I think I made for my first year of speaking, I got paid eighteen thousand dollars. That was my contract. Nice. And each win was worth was valuable. It was worth twenty twenty five hundred dollars. Twenty five hundred was your win bonus. Wow. Uh, yeah, my win bonus was twenty five hundred bucks, and my championship bonus was twenty five grand. <laughs> So and, uh, that wasn't even a hundred thousand dollar season, winning the Supercross title on a bunch of races in the one twenty five class. It added up with all my bonuses. I think I was a hundred was one hundred forty thousand dollar year. I think I made that year. Wow! For tw- the whole twelve months. Twelve months, eight 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 race wins, a championship, and you know outdoors was, was decent, nothing great, but yeah, it was I think. And then so Suzuki rewarded me next year with a twenty thousand dollar contract. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just the money that was making at the time, you know, and 
uh, you know, a 19-year-old kid, then that was, wow, Omaha, Nebraska, I'm making money racing. That's, I'm making, you know, 20 grand or whatever the hell I was making, and, you know, 100 grand then with a title, I was pumped. That seemed like a ton of money. You know, for me, even fathom when, when you, some of these kids are getting million-dollar contracts at 19 years old, you know, I was kind of a screw-off making 20 grand. I can only imagine the mentality I would have had if someone had me a million-dollar check and said, you know, go raise. I, I, I would have thought I was a way bigger rock star, and I thought I was then. <laughs> well, yeah, I want to I, I can imagine ahead, what you would have done. Day. <laughs> go ahead, Ping. <laughs> I, I said I can imagine what he would have done. Well, a chicken would have wound up off the edge of a cliff in a Porsche somewhere. <laughs> in a pool. A trunk, full of, trunk full of cocaine and yeah. dead strippers. <laughs> well, I want to get at that because the point people are going to make here is, well, um, they would have been fine if they had just saved all their money. But you're not talking about a big enough pile. If you had literally saved every dollar somehow, it might have helped. But it wouldn't necessarily mean that you're sitting in a mansion today. My biggest asset was my mom was a, was a, was a banker. You know, uh-huh. she started uh, banking when I was when I first started school. And you know, so when I was getting older, she handled all my finances and basically just hid money from me and said, "Yeah, you got nothing. Just you know, just go live." And uh, you know, I, I think I bought a truck and you know, and uh, you know, I didn't really spend. I bought a house. I think when I was like. 1920 that I, I had up until uh, I moved to California for, for with Smith and uh, you know I think you just got to have someone you know a good parenting or, or someone around you that's just kind of keeping your finances straight not not even like I said I wasn't making much money but I definitely wasn't blowing all this and when I finally was done racing I did own a home uh, you know, I owned my vehicles you know I wasn't in debt right uh, you know that fight didn't come until later in life after you know marriage and divorce but uh, you know at the time everything was going real well you know right but uh like you said, if you don't have the parents around, it's, it seems strange to me that, you know, no one's racing and making huge money racing at age 50, but it does seem like the riders tend to, some riders tend to act like, I'm always going to make this much money, but it doesn't necessarily work that way. But maybe if you're 19 years old, it's hard to think 30 years into the future, I suppose. Well, you know, I think it comes back to the whole agent thing, you know, that I did and, uh, and kind of realized, you know, one of the guys I was working with, one of the riders, you yeah. know, I, I, I started working with him and he had... He had, no, he had nothing set up financially. You know, he'd been making really good money for, for a number of, money, number of years yep. and had this enormous nut he had to spend every month to pay his bills. And I was just thinking to myself, like, well, so I'm just starting out as an agent, you know, kind of managing your career. And what, what was the guy doing before me? You know, I mean, is it, is it, you know, I mean, is everybody just pulled from the industry for money and not doing anything else? You know, I think that's going to come where the manager comes in. A lot of these guys have managers. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a young rider and you have a manager right now, and he isn't somewhere, somewhere setting you up with a financial advisor, not taking over his money, handling your money himself, but setting you up with somebody or a, a number of people that you can interview and, and, and start taking care of your own money, then, you know, you're, you're with the wrong people. And, and if you're not, you need to get someone to kind of help you because these guys are making good money and they need to be putting it in the right place or at least saving it, you know? Yeah, it's amazing how fast it goes, you know. I, I'll use Hanny as an example. Um when he signed his deal with KTM, you know, it was for over a million bucks, a three-year deal. And I, I kept I kept telling him, the, right when he signed that thing, I'm going to do it, just, do you realize, like, because, you know, I never had a, I never made six figures. I never made a six-figure salary during my career. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had I had four seasons where I won races, you know, and, and uh, I think Hanny had still only won a couple of races at that point. Like, man, if you can just be smart the next three years, you know, buy, buy, buy yourself one truck, you know, put that money somewhere, maybe buy a house, just be like smart with it, don't be an idiot. You will be so dialed, even if you don't make any money 
from bonuses and race wins and things, just that sour, you'll be sitting on such a good little chunk of money. You know, you, you, you set yourself up real nice. And he was like, yeah, Ping, but, you know, I'm young. I just want to have some fun, dude. Like, I just don't, I don't think like that. Oh. I'm like, oh. wow. And then fast forward, you know, six, seven years, and he's broke, begging for a ride. And, you know, he, he's able to, at least for now, turn it around. And he's he had a, a good end of this season. But, you know, man. He's lucky enough to have had time to turn it around. But even at that, he might never have another million-dollar contract on the table to sign again. No. And I he's mean, the best-case scenario that he got another chance. Yeah, exactly. Lightning usually doesn't strike twice like that. He got he got pretty lucky falling into that spot that he did. But, Ping, I think uh, you've yeah. mentioned it before that you can only put, I guess, so much in the hands of well, he said he was young and he wanted to have fun. There's got to be someone else, or like you said, Denny, even an agent. There's got to be someone because it's just tough at 19 years old if you're making a million dollars to think any other way, I suppose. Yeah, like Denny said, that, that's the problem. These, these kids don't, they don't even, they don't get it, they don't care, they don't, whatever. You've got to have a parent or an agent or someone who um, genuinely cares about you to help you make the right decision. How tough is it from what you saw as an agent, Denny, um, to try to pick because there obviously are some people like you who are trying to help them for their own personal, you know, in life. But then obviously you've got people picking at you that are trying to take money from you or make money off of you. That's got to make things difficult as well. Yeah, I mean, it was a definite, definitely an interesting experience. You know, I, uh, I definitely enjoyed the two riders I had, or uh, not the two, the two of them I had, and Josh and Trey, and I worked with Jimmy Albertson and, uh, you know, a couple of freestyle guys, Jeremy Lutz, and, and learned a lot from Brian Deegan. And, you know, it, it's, if you see these different levels, you see, you know, working with Jimmy Albertson, this young privateer just trying to survive and make it, and uh, you see Trey Kennard, who's just won a championship and trying to build his career. You know, Josh moving to the 450, and, uh, and then a legendary person like Brian Deegan, who's, who's made millions off his marketing uh, plans and stuff. And it's in, in four, and these are four completely different people in four different stages of their career. And, uh, you know, it's tough. It, it's really tough. And it, it's, it's easy for us to sit here on the phone or, you know, in this interview and kind of write out this, this big plan, but you know, until these guys actually sit down and, and, and get this opportunity and, and kind of get, get the right people around them, it, it's tough, you know, and there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of industry guys that want to kind of screw you over and get you just for nothing, and, and uh, but then there's some industry guys that really care for you, they're, they're part of your family that you've worked with your entire life, and they, they want the best for you as well, and, uh, and then you even see, you know, parents out there who, you know, I, I think we both know riders, and we've all seen them interviews, that their own families have tried to screw them over what they've made money, you know? I mean, there's really no right or wrong way to do it. You just got to be really lucky and uh, really blessed with some good people around you. I don't want it to turn into, you know, uh, we know how much more money the riders are making now than, or even especially two years ago than what you guys made, but that's not the be-all, end-all. It's not saying that now that the factory Suzuki guy doesn't make 18 grand, he makes much more, that now it's all set. Even if you make a tremendous amount of money, like you said with Hanny, that doesn't solve the problem. You need to make $50 million to get to the point where you literally could not screw it up. So, well, Hanny, Hanny blew 1.2 in three years or four years, you know, it was gone. Wow. I, I don't wow. even know how you spend that much money. No, I don't know. Because <laughs> you, you might know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. That You know, and, and kind of very disappointing, but, you know, when you got a young kid like that, he looks at you and goes, hey, you know, I really don't care. You know, you've got to mind him that years down the road and go, hey, you didn't care at the time. We tried helping you, and 
you know, fortunately, he is out there making a living. He's, he's riding a dirt bike right now. And, but again, it just comes down to when, when that gear bag closes and that bike's shipped off and you're done racing the motocross bike for, and making a living from it, how many kids gonna have, are going to be prepared for the next stage of life? You know, and it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. And it, it's been interesting over the years and just what these guys have taken. And, you know, the sad part is, you know, look at, you know, I hate to bring up uh, Eichel, you know, robbed a bank the other day. And, uh, you know, Mike Healy getting in trouble he's gotten into. And, yes. You know, and, and, it, and it kind of sucks that these stories come out, you know, and, and these are the ones that you see on the news and, you know, get up on the web. But uh, they're not they're not everyday stories. They're not everybody's turned to that. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it, it does get to that level. And, you know, it's that way in a lot of different sports. But, you know, hopefully people, some of these young kids learn from that and see that that's what happens sometimes when you, when you piss away a career and are prepared for the next stage of life. Uh, so from your angle, Danny, did you ever feel the pressure from your parents, even with the effort they were putting in, that they were putting in the effort for you to support them as a millionaire athlete once you got older? Was the pressure ever coming with that angle on it? Never. No, I never, ever felt that. You know, even even now I kind of look back, and you know, when I was racing mini bikes, you know, there, there was a mini A class back here, and, you know, I was, you know, you got paid. And, you know, they let me keep the money, you know, even knowing that they spent, they were spending every dime they made, you know, they, I never felt obligated. I had to give them the money. They never told me I had to give them, you know, money I made during the day or the weekends. I had to give back. You know, I usually did, or they tried to pay back my entry fees or something just because I felt guilty, but they never felt put that on me. You know, they, uh, for them, I guess, it was just them working, you know, spending time with their son and uh, and growing up, you know, with, with me. And, um, yeah, but never felt that obligation and said, hey, at the end of the day, i got to repay all that if, if I make it. I And I've heard that that's happened to some of the kids today, and I, I couldn't even imagine having to deal with that. That would, that would be really, really tough. Yeah, it's unbelievable what your what your parents have to spend to support, you know, a kid through an amateur career into the pro level. I mean, it's my dad and I all sit back and laugh at this. He's got this garage full of trophies that he just can't bring himself to throw away. <laughs> He's just like, dude, I got a million bucks into this set of old beat-up trophies. He's like, I just can't do it. We sit there and, you know, stare at him and laugh and, you know, talk about each oh, man, you remember that one? Yeah, I remember that weekend. This happened and that happened. I mean, those are those are solid gold memories, I think. And for most parents, that's that was what it was all about, at, at least the good parents, you know, is all those memories they had with their son and their whole family um, that, you know, you really couldn't get anywhere else. Yeah, we would have had one hell of a college education, I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. but, like, but then again, at the end of the day, like you said, we wouldn't have those priceless memories. and. You know, that's what I always laugh about when, when parents ask about racing and, you know, so they get the kids into it. And, like, at the end of the day, you got to be a pretty good kid to get free gear and, or new, a new bike and new gear every weekend, you know, before you're getting sponsored when your parents are all paying for all this stuff. And, you know, it kept me out of trouble. You know, I got into trouble a couple times as a kid, and my mom and dad basically said, hey, if this is what you want to keep doing, you know, we appreciate you staying out of trouble. And it kept me on a straight and narrow. You know, I wasn't out doing stupid shit. And, you know, most on weekends I was racing. You know, I wasn't out getting drunk with my buddies, and you know, I didn't come until later in racing. But <laughs> as a kid, growing, as a kid racing, it was uh, you know I, I spent every moment with my mom, mom or dad at the track, with my friends racing. Like, you know, I, I don't spend, a, I don't still to this day really hang out or at all with anybody I went to school with. But all my friends, uh, California friends, local friends, are friends I've known for 20 years. I grew up racing. I mean, that that is our schooling in a sense. You know, you grew up to be a man in the in the motocross industry with those people around you. So when you look at it from that perspective, then, the sacrifice, the money and time from the parents' angle, if it's for the reason of, you know, these are memories, these are life experiences, these are, you know, keeping our kids out of trouble, 
then it pays off. But to look at it strictly from a financial, we spend a million dollars from age uh, eight to 20, and then we get $2 million back from age 20 to 25. That's when you're gonna get yourself in some yeah. trouble. Yeah, what, yeah, maybe one, what, 10 guys make that, or we're making that? Yes. I, I think I'd go buy my kid a set of golf clubs and go, oh, what's your goal with your kid? Right. Well, <laughs> better, ch- better chance of making more money doing that uh, than uh, on a bike. And, and, uh, and there's a good chance I don't, I don't see anyone ever take a big cartwheel down, down you know, the eighth fairway like you do on a motocross bike nowadays. So That's right. Although I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen on a fairway. Maybe when you're out getting drunk with your buddies, though, that's probably all you know, part of that. I, I was I was yeah. in Minnesota with Swap one day, Denny, and uh, we were flying down this hill, and uh, we were playing a, a scramble, so his ball hadn't gone that far. He was leaning out of the cart to get it. I think we might have had a couple of drinks at this point. <clears throat> and uh, he leaned out of the cart on the right side, and as soon as we got to his ball, I cranked the wheel left. We were doing about 30. Just rolled his ass out of the cart for like 60 feet. <laughs> Anyway, so I'm saying it, it can happen. <laughs> it can be. Yeah, yeah, it can be done. Um, well, Danny, I know we got to let you go. You only had uh, about 20 minutes for us today, but um, you do actually have checks rolling in, what, every couple of weeks or every month, but it's not from the retirement account, I guess, right? Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I got let go with the, uh, the, the agent deal. At the end of the day, you know, I, I don't think I really was the best agent. You know, I enjoyed it immensely, and, uh, but, you know, I, I kind of got downsized in the company, and I'm currently unemployed and budgeting some unemployment checks, you know. So as of right now, you know, I, I guess I'm, I kind of fit that whole story, that whole vibe of uh, moving on after racing. And I've, I've had some very successful moments. You know, I did the TV broadcasting, I've done some Smith Optic stuff. I, uh, you know, I was just did the agent thing for a while. And, you know, and I'm, I guess I'm one of, uh, you know, hundreds of million other people and uh, looking for work and trying to find the next stage of life. So, um but again, you know, no regrets. I, I love where everything my life has been, and uh, I'm sure that I've, I've been very blessed again, and something will come up, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> if you're out there looking need someone to uh, mark me, master, call me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I really, nothing made us feel worse when we were thinking of, who could we call for this show? And then when we thought of you, that I don't know if that's an honor you really want. <laughs> Hey, you know, uh, you, your, your first uh, your first part of your email was talking about me, uh, talking about uh, guys who are the strongest and the fittest at the very end of hot days. And, uh, you know, obviously I didn't fit that category, so oh. I fit this one. We'll, we'll, we'll take either one, you know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll get back to uh, finding some work, I guess, all right? Yeah, I appreciate the call and, uh, and everything else. Same as we're talking to you guys. are doing a great job. You know, I'm real proud of you, Weeds, on the TV broadcast. Thanks, and, man. Uh, and you guys, your team, your team killer this year, so... You know, I'm a fan like, like I've always been. I'm home watching the races, and uh, you know, just because you stepped away from uh, from working in the industry, I'm still a big part of it. And uh, you know, I'll always be. I'll be up at Millville this year. I hit a couple of supercrosses. Cool. Just like about it's, it's a part of your life. You know, May the sixth. So you know, I turned 40 this summer, and it's a great sport. And you know, if you can learn from any of us, just uh, try your best and don't piss away all your money, young kids. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, we'll see you at Millville then. All right, you guys have a great summer. I'll see you at Millville. See you, Denny. All right, cool. Um, All right, that's uh, Denny Stevenson. Let's wrap this up, Ping. We can beat this topic over and over and over. It's the balance, I guess, that really is the key. And um, sometimes, unfortunately, we have to highlight the bad stories so people realize not everybody ends up in Carmichael and having so much money that they can go race trucks, which costs even more money. So it doesn't always work that way. That's right. You know, we're not trying to bum anybody out or say you're not going to make it or don't don't try to make it. But um, just you know, 
try to, yeah, like you said, try to have some balance and realize that uh, a lot of times guys with a ton of potential just don't get there. You just don't make it. it it's, there's so many different things that can happen to derail it. So you've uh, got to be aware of that. One, one thing I want to throw at you that, that uh, some racers are going to say, that the game is so mental that if you have any doubts in your mind, you know, as they always say, unless you think you can win, you're not going to win. So is looking, you know, with some peripheral vision and thinking just in case it doesn't work, can that make you slower? Is there actually something to that? Well, like I said, maybe it isn't, maybe you don't beat that into your kid's head, you know, <laughs> but you just say, look, here's the bottom line. I want you to get good grades, okay? Yeah, don't even tell them why. Don't, don't you know, pull the parent move. Just when they ask why, just go, because I said so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because if you don't, I will, we will not go ride. You know, that will be it. I will put a lock around your bike and it'll be tied to the garage. So, you don't need to speak that out of their head. Look, you're not going to make it in this sport, so you better have something else. You don't need to say that. It doesn't need to be like negative reinforcement. Just say, right, right. you're getting good grades. That's part of this deal. You know, my dad's deal was the bikes are always, you wash the bikes, you do the filters, you clean the trailer, and you get good grades. And all that stuff's done, we'll go ride. You know, so work out what works for you. Just make education part of the equation. And the money you did make racing, although you're not able to, like you said, 35 years old and just go to the beach every day. I'm sure it, it did help. It does give you a head start. Um, well, of yeah. course. I, yep. And I was—I had great parents, like I said. My mom is the biggest rat holer, so she started a couple of IRAs for me, and I've got a couple of nice little accounts set away at a, at a, a brokerage place up in Montana. And I've got a home, and I've got—you know—my vehicles are paid for. It's kind of like Denny. You kind of get yourself set up all right. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, I, I rely on paychecks every month to. Uh, to stay alive and feed myself, so I'll be a working man till the day I die, I guess, <laughs> like the rest of us. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> everybody just catches each other in the middle, then we're all about the same situation. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. As you know, you don't get rich working uh, on the other side of the motocross industry either. So <laughs> that's the way it is. Yeah. Hi, Ping. Um, that's pretty good, and. Um, I appreciate some people giving me the suggestion on this. We had some loose suggestions. I think the thing people wanted me to do the most on this episode was get a bunch of crazy parents on here and completely berate them for what they've done to their children. But it's kind of hard to find that guest. You, you could do that, but <laughs> we'll take the high road. I don't think anyone was willing to volunteer to be the parent that uh, got... Why did you do this to your son? I, for some reason, we didn't have any volunteers for that. All right. Thanks for the... Uh, Thanks for the insight, man. And uh, this was a tough one. It's easy to have the show about how great it was to win your first race. It's probably not quite as fun to talk about how you didn't win so many of them that you just got to buy a small island. <laughs> well, reality is what it is. You know, <laughs> despite what you want to happen, uh, you know, can't avoid reality. Right. And uh, that means you got work to do this weekend, and so do I. So I'll see you there. Sounds good, buddy. <laughs> All right, Ping. And uh, thanks, folks, for listening. This is your uh, Racer X podcast on life after racing. And enjoy it while it lasts because, hey, at least when you're in the sport in any capacity, it's fun and it's great memories, and that's probably the most important thing to take out of it. See you next week, folks. <laughs>